escape from the trap of the devil. From his brimstone bed at the break of day, a walk in the devil is going to look at his little snub form shape of the world and see how his stock goes on. How then was the devil dressed? Ah, he was in his Sunday best. His coat was red and his britches were blue and there was a hole where his tail came through. It's a lot of fiction in that poem, but there's some solemn reality there too. That the devil does go to and fro seeking whom he may destroy. And the devil's after you and the devil is after me. And don't look at your neighbor talking about, yeah, it does kind of look like the devil's after them. No, he's after you too. And he's not trying to hurt your feelings. He's trying to destroy you. And, and the thing about it, whenever you preach a message uh, that, that deals with the devil in any way, the danger is that so many people immediately turn you off. Because a lot of us just don't believe that the devil exists. We don't even believe there is a devil. We believe there is evil. And most of us try to rationalize the craziness in the world with a belief that it is some inner disorder in us. But the Bible says that the devil's not just some inner disorder in us, he's someone working on us. There is somebody strategizing against you. There's somebody planning against you. There is somebody that is trying to get you to do the will of the devil rather than the will of God, and he uses King James Version, snares, traps, to try to trap us to keep us from doing things the way God would have us to do things. And the kind of traps that he uses, one of the traps uh, it are arguments. Everybody say arguments. And that's why there's so many arguments in our marriages and in our relationships and friendships and so many arguments with parents and children and teachers and students and in the church. All these are because it's a trick of the devil to try to trap us so that we never move forward into the things of God. Listen what it says in verse 14, 2 Timothy, verse 14, chapter 2. Keep reminding them of those things. Warn them before God against, here it is, quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. And then in verse 16, it says, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. He said the problem with so many of us is we take God's word and rather than use it for instruction and inspiration and direction, that we simply argue with people about his word. We argue with our friends and we argue with family members and co-workers on the job. We're going back and forth about what this means and that means. And the Apostle Paul says, when we're doing all that arguing, he says, it's of no value to anybody. It ruins those who participate in the argument. It ruins those who are listening to it. So rather than bringing restoration, we really bring ruin. And then in verse 16, he talks about this ungodly chatter. See, somehow we think if we could just beat somebody upside the head with the Bible, and this is what God says, what the Word says, we somehow think we're going to make them godly. And Paul says, no, you make them more and more ungodly. You push them further and further away from God. Y'all, we have to stop using the church as a place to come and get. Here, here's what happens. Instead of coming to church to hear God's word for instruction and direction, we come and get the church for the word for ammunition. 
because we're going to go back on our job. So, oh, I'm so glad Pastor preached that because we were talking about that on the job today. Ooh, I got something for him tomorrow because tomorrow I'm going to No, this ain't ammunition. Y'all, you can't save people that you shooting at. Come on now. It, it, this, this is inspiration. This is for correction. This is for direction, y'all. And we got to make sure that we stop with all these crazy arguments. It's a trap of the devil to keep us. So what happens is you win the argument, but you lose the soul. You win the argument, but you lose your spouse. You win the argument, but you lose your child because it's not about ammunition. It's about inspiration. Arguing, that's, that's, a tra- that's a trap of the devil. Another argument or another trap of the devil are accusations. Everybody say accusations. And I know somebody saying, well, Pastor, where are you getting that from in the text? Because it says, come to your senses so that you can escape from the trap, not of Satan, but the trap of the devil. The name or the title devil means accuser. See, the, the enemy has more than 20 different titles and names that are given in Scripture. The serpent, the red dragon, the roaring lion, the prince and the power of this earl, Beelzebub. The enemy has more than 20 names given in Scripture. So when it mentions devil, Paul has a certain thing in mind because devil means accuser. In John chapter 12, in, in Revelation chapter 12, it says that the enemy accuses us day and night. He tries to trap us with accusations. Just every day, all day accusing us. Don't you remember you did this? Don't you remember you went there? Don't you remember you said this? You drank that, you snorted that, you slept with this and all. And so with all these accusations, it is trying to trap us. Here's what those accusations do. It it causes us to focus in on the person rather than the principles being proclaimed. Meaning this, you tell somebody, ooh, I heard pastor so-and-so, or bishop so-and-so, and oh, the bishop was on it, the pastor, oh, he was great, the word was this, and this. and they say, wait a minute, I heard he did this, and I heard she said this, and I heard that they did, and so now you've taken the focus off of the principles and put it on the person, and we never come into the reality of the truth. And then all these accusations, it is a trap of the enemy to try to paralyze you to your past. And so the enemy keeps pointing out what you did in the past, and you're so busy focusing on the past that you're not productive in the present. For years, we've been trying to get people more involved in ministry and to serve and to do it. And some people think, well, I can't serve because I've made too many mistakes. And the enemy keeps reminding you of those mistakes and reminding you of how you used to live. And so now you just come and watch other people serve because you've been paralyzed to the past because of accusations. And what makes it worse is that some of us have become the devil personified meaning that we have taken on the personality of the devil. Because when all you do is accuse other folk, that's devilish. Just on the phone all day. Girl, did you hear what so-and-so said? Oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, y'all, that's, that's devilish. And, and, and if you're not careful, you can become the devil in somebody's life that you claim to love. Because if you got husbands and wives accusing each other and parents and children accusing each other, friends accusing each other, y'all, that... That is devilish. Um, you, you know what hell is to me. And I do believe in hell, fire, and brimstone. I believe anybody that accepts Christ as their personal Savior, that they go to heaven because of their faith in Christ. And people that reject Jesus, I believe they go to hell because of their rejection of the Lord. And there's eternal damnation. I believe in, in Gehenna, hellfire. All that. I believe in that. But I also believe there's a hell on earth. You know what hell is to me on earth? Hell on earth is every day confronting yesterday. That's hell. 
that every day I got to confront something I did 13 years ago. No matter how many times I said I'm sorry, no matter how many times I asked for forgiveness, no matter how many changes I had in my life, every day I got to confront something I did 17 years. That's hell. And y'all, God is not in that kind of thing. That is nothing but a trick of the enemy to get you to focus on the person rather than the principle and then tie you to your past so that you won't do anything in the present. Here's, here's, here's the situation. Um, I went, I went to buy a new Bible, and this has been a couple of years. I went to buy a new Bible. When I did, I was all excited. I buy all kind of different translations in the Bible. And, and so I bought a new Bible, and I get it home and discover that the cover was on backwards. The cover of the Bible was upside down. So when I, when I opened it, I had to flip it because something was wrong with the cover. The cover was backwards. And so I would open the Bible, and then I would have to flip it over. I'm like this. So I said, why would they sell me a brand-new Bible and the cover is backwards. So I got ready to take it back and get a refund or get an exchange and get the right kind of situation. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Jeffrey Johnson, why are you taking that Bible back? And I said, well, God, the cover is on upside down. I want the cover to be straight. Then the Holy Spirit said, did you get it for the cover or the content? And so I decided right then and there, oh, shoot, I ain't even worrying about the cover. I don't read the cover anyway. I read what's in, y'all, even when you listen to me, there's some things in my life that are upside down. There's some stuff that's still backwards. Be patient with me. God ain't through with me yet. But when I'm proclaiming the gospel, it is the truth. And if you stop focusing on the person, you can get deliverance from the principles. And the next time the enemy tries to tie to you to your past that you won't serve God in the present, just literally say, get behind me, Satan, because I've been covered by the blood and God has forgiven me. God has given me another chance. Do I have a witness? Now, what if I'm already trapped? What if I'm already trapped? Then how do I come out of these traps? You come out of the traps with truth. Verse 15, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved before God, a workman that need not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. Y'all, if you are trapped in something, drugs, alcohol, promiscuity, lying tongues, pornography, whatever you trapped in, debt, whatever it is, you shall know the truth. Come on, Bible readers. And the truth shall set you free. The truth of God has a liberating effect. It has an emancipating effect. It sets you true. It sets you free. So whatever you're tied into, when you get into the truth, it'll set you free. Now watch what it says in verse 15. Study to show thyself approved. That's King James Version. That word study really doesn't mean study like in a book. Even though if you're going to rightly divide the word of truth, you got to study it. But that word out of the Greek literally means not study like a book. It means to put forth your best effort. It means to do your best, to get energetic for God, to, to be eager, to be earnest about the things of God, to be passionate. It, it, it says to do your best before God so that you can be approved because the issue is God is tired of us with this nonchalant attitude, this this indifference about the things of God. Well, it's Sunday. I guess I better get on up and go on down there. Well, this my, our choir's on today. I guess I got to say, our ushers are doing, I better get, God is sick of that. Well, I, I'm supposed to teach this Sunday. I, I better get on down there and try. God's tired of that. He's looking for some saints that will do their best, who will study, who will be energetic, put forth some effort. 
And y'all, we got to stop waiting on the praise team and the men and the choir to sing us up and get us ready. The old folk used to say, I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. It's something energetic that they had about God. Study. It, it, do put forth your best effort. Why? Because I want to be approved. That's what it says. And that approval is not the approval of people. I'm not doing my best to please people. Now, I, want, I really want people to like me. I really do. I want y'all to like me. But just because y'all don't like me don't mean I'm going to stop serving. I want you to like me. I'm sorry you don't like me, but I'm not going to sit back because, you know what, they looking at me funny and they, I, you know, they said this about me. So what? Because I'm not trying to please you. I'm doing my best because I'm trying to please God. And here's what I learned in ministry. I've been in ministry for t more than 27 years now. And, and I learned this, that a lot of times when you are pleasing people, you are not pleasing God. And when you are pleasing God, a lot of times you're not pleasing people. And if it comes down to pleasing God or people, I'm going to have to go with God on this one. I'm going with the one that can pull me out of hell and give me a place in his kingdom. Do I have a witness in here? This word approved, to be, to be approved, put forth your best effort so that you can be approved, it really literally means to be tested. Now, you're doing your best, and you still got to be tested. It's, it's testing like precious metal in a refiner's fire. So even though you're putting forth your best energy, you, you're excited for God, you're doing all, God says, I, I still got to send you through the fire. Like, metal, precious metal in a refiner's fire. Now, here's the deal. When you find precious metal like gold and silver, a lot of times it has dross on it and waste on it and it has impurities in it. That's why the refiner has to put it in the fire. And the fire has a twofold purpose. Fire can destroy by burning or it develops by burning. So when you put the gold in the fire with all of its impurities, then the fire destroys the waste. It destroys the dross. It destroys the impurities, but it develops the gold. So when the gold comes out of the fire, it was better than when it went in. So it comes out as pure gold. So the next time you're going through a heated situation, the next time God sends you through the fire, it doesn't mean God has forsaken you. It means God is trying to burn the hell out of you because we got all these impurities in us. And so God sends us through the fire so he can burn it off so we'll come out the way he wants us to be. I told y'all before that my sister, my, my, my only sister, when, when she was a little girl, she's here today too, when she was a little girl, my sister didn't go to the beauty shop and she didn't go to the hair salon. She didn't have no hairstylist. You know, y'all got six and seven-year-olds going to the spa and all. That's cool. You got to expose them to it, know that part of the world. My sister wasn't exposed to that as a kid. She had no hairstylist. When she went to get her hair done, she didn't go to the beauty shop. She went to the kitchen. And, and mama would sit her down in a chair in the kitchen and pull out a sheet or a towel and cover, tone that up with that towel and then pin it in the back. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Pin it in the back. And then mama would take that hot comb and put it on the fire on the stove. And then she tried her best to comb Tonette's hair and part it, put some oil in it and all that. Then she would grab that hot comb and then she would take her time and start straightening out Tonette's hair with the heat. And, 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 and she wasn't trying to burn Tonette. She was trying to better Tonette. But the closer she got to Tonette's ear, Tonette would start moving and twisting and turning. And Mama would say, be still. I'm trying to straighten this mess out. Y'all, that's what God is doing in your life. When you go through heated situations, 
God is not trying to burn you. He's trying to better you. Now, remember, you're already covered by his blood. You got the oil of the Holy Ghost. Now, be still and know he's God. He's trying to straighten your mess out. Watch what it says. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm approved by God. I've been tested. Now, he says, I need you to rightly divide the word of truth. I need you to rightly handle the word of truth. Now, if you can rightly handle the word of truth, that means you can wrongly handle the word of truth. And that's the problem. That's why some of us never come out of these traps and snares. We never get into God's will. It's because we keep sitting under people who wrongly handle the word of truth. Or we ourselves wrongly. It really, it hurts my heart. Some of the preaching and teaching, not, not all. It's a lot of good preachers and pastors on radio and television and across this country and world. But some of this stuff I'm hearing, Y'all, it ain't the truth. It's exploitation. It's deception. It's manipulation. And if you don't know what the Word says yourself, how can you know? It, see, the, the situation is, just because somebody has on a black suit and a big cross and a big Bible don't make them holy. You got to try the spirits by the spirits and see if it's of God. And you test everything with the Word of God. That's why you got to know it for yourself. I'm tired of seeing people get exploited and manipulate it and deceive because there are consequences when you don't rightly handle the word of truth. Adam showed us that in the book of Genesis. God went to Adam and Eve and gave him a word. So you can eat every tree in the garden except one. The one in the middle of the garden, leave it alone. Don't touch it. If you touch it, you'll die. He gave him a word. And then here comes this low-down, dirty snake slithering his way into their situation, trying to get them to doubt God's word. Did God say you could eat of every tree in the garden? He said, no, I know what the Word says. He said, we can eat of every tree except the one in the midst of the garden. Leave that alone. If we touch it, we'll die. Then when he couldn't get them to doubt the Word, he tried to get them to deny the Word. You shall not surely die. But if you eat of that fruit, you'll become like God's. And they fail for the doubting and the denial of the Word of God. And they mishandled the Word. Now watch the consequence. When Adam and Eve mishandled the Word, now Adam had to work twice as hard and had less to show for it. See, some people think that work was a consequence of the fall of humanity in the sand. Work was not a consequence of the... Adam was working in Genesis 2, naming things in the garden, tilling the garden. He didn't fall to Genesis 3. Y'all, work is a blessing. Work ain't no curse. But the problem was, the curse was he's working twice as hard and has less to show for. See, the issue for somebody I'm preaching to right now is not that you don't work hard. It's just that you got so little to show for your hard work. But there's some things that God's Word says about working. If we would handle His Word properly, then we can get the blessings out of it. Another consequence of mishandling the Word of God is that their marriage got all messed up. The thing between Adam and Eve, husband and wife, it, it got jacked up because they mishandled the Word. Because Adam went from bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, to this woman you gave me. Now, something wrong with your marriage, if this is how you address your wife, this woman, this ain't this woman. This is your wife, but that's what happens. Marriages get all distorted and get all messed up. And then Eve started giving birth to children in pain. So children became a pain when they got outside the Word of God, and then they lost their home because they got kicked out of the garden. There's so many bad things that happen when we mishandle the Word of God. But y'all, we got to rightly divide the Word. We got to rightly handle the Word of God. 
well, pastor, hurry up then. I'm tired of all these jacked up consequences in my life. How do I rightly handle the Word of God? Let me give you uh, just some basic, simple things to understand about handling God's Word. Number one, you need to realize it is revelation. This is revealed truth. I don't care how many degrees you had, you still need the revelation of God. And you ought to go to school. You ought to get your degree. You ought to study at that level. But, but y'all, it takes God to reveal to us what he's showing us in his word. So whenever I go to try to understand God's word, I have to pray first because I have to talk to the one that gave it to me because he has to reveal it in order for me to understand it. Revelation, but also interpretation. You have to interpret the word. Interpret it, yes, because here's the situation. There is only one interpretation of Scripture, only one. You might come to it from 10 different angles, but you all come to the same conclusion because there's only one interpretation. People remember talking about, well, you know my opinion. Your opinion don't mean anything when it comes to the word. It means what it says it means. There is no Baptist interpretation and then a Methodist interpretation, Church of God in Christ interpretation, Catholic. No, that ain't God. That's us doing that. It's only one interpretation. And that's why you hear words like exegesis, exposition. Though when you talk about interpreting the word, you have to exegete the text, ex, pull out, exit, to come out. You pull the truth out of the word because God has already spoken what he wants us to know. It's just time for us to pull it out. Be careful about people who read things into a text. Some people get an idea in their head, then they go find a passage of Scripture and make it say what they are thinking. That's eisegesis. Exegesis is when you explain and expose and pull out what is already there. After the interpretation, if you handle it rightly, it's got to be application. You have to apply it. What good is it if you interpret it and then don't live by it? It's not enough for us to come and say amen and shout on Sunday to the Word and then go live like the devil when we get out of here. You got to not only be hearers, somebody help me preach this, you got to be doers of the Word also. And when we rightly divide, Jesus Christ shows us the advantage and how to manage God's Word and handle God's Word properly. Jesus in Matthew 4, who's the second Adam, the second Adam was tempted in, in three different areas. He was tempted in the area of economics, turn stone into bread. He was tempted in the area of sensationalism, popularity, and fame. Jump from the pinnacle of the temple, the angels will catch you, you'll land safely, instant popularity. Anybody who follows somebody can jump from that high, angels catch them, so popularity. And then he was tempted in the area of power. Bow down to me and I give you all the kingdoms of the world. Now here's why the Lord put that in the text. Here's why the Lord put that in the Bible. Because God knows that most of us would do anything for bread. And God knows that most of us would do anything for popularity. And God knows that most of us would do anything for power. And so Jesus is saying when the enemy comes and tempts you in these different areas, you got to know how to rightly handle the word of truth. Now, what do I do? It is written. It is written. It is written again. But, y'all, I cannot speak what is written if I never read it. You got to pick up the Bible. You got to memorize it. You got to meditate on it. You got to get in the word because the Holy Spirit will bring it back to your remembrance. But if I never put it there, how can he bring it back? Well, pastor, you know what? I would read it, but there were times I tried to read the Word, and I just couldn't understand. That's why I don't read it, because I just, I, I, I would read it, and I couldn't understand it. And I wish I had hours, because when you went to your first semester of college, 
You took a course and you didn't understand it. You didn't drop out of school saying, well, I ain't picking that book up no more. I didn't get it. You went and got a tutor. You went and got some help. You asked your friends. You sat in class. You listened to up. You got it because you wanted it. Even when you initially didn't understand it, but you understand it today and it profits you. That's what I'm saying about the word. You may not initially understand it when you first read it, but as you, you keep practicing, keep reading, get you some Bible helps and that kind of thing. Now you can, and wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Even if you don't understand it, what does that have to do with you reading it? Because the issue is you're trying to get it in you. Because once it gets in you, even if you don't understand it, it still benefits you. Yo, I don't understand aspirin. I have done no research on aspirin. None. I don't know how aspirin works. I don't know how it breaks down in the body and how it goes. I don't know anything about aspirin. But if I get a headache, I just read the label. Now, I don't understand it. I just read it. It says take two of these. All I'm trying to do is get it in me. I ain't trying to understand it. I'm trying to get it in me. And then that's when the healing comes. If you don't understand from everything from Genesis to Revelation, baby, just get it in you. The healing is still on its way. Now watch this. I love this because in verse 20, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, I love this. It says, in a large house, there is gold, silver, wood, clay, and it has purpose to it. Do y'all see that? Watch what it says. In a large house, there is gold, silver, wood, clay, and purpose to it. I love this because the enemy will try to trick you and trap you into thinking the only way you can get in a large house is to lie your way there. And you know lie has more than one definition to it. So the enemy, y'all catch all that later. The enemy's trying to get you to think the only way to get to a big house and to live large is through lying. But this text is teaching me that I can rightly divide the word of truth and still have a large house with gold and silver in it. Here's what I'm telling you. You don't have to lie on anybody. You don't have to lie to anybody. You don't have to lie with anybody. And you don't have to sleep with anybody. God can get you to a large house with the truth. I said the truth. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's not just the word that gets us to the house. Remember it says, study, show thyself approved of God. Watch this. A workman. Wait a minute. The large house doesn't come until verse 20. Work is back up here in verse 15. So I got to work more than one verse before I get to my large house. Because there are folk, you got to be careful about people preaching to you and teaching you, telling you can get a large house without working. That just because I lay my hands on you and in the name of Jesus and I touch you, your house is on the way. When I get through touching you and laying hands on you, you better go get a job and get to work if you want a large house. I mean, it's cool. Lay hands on and know with all, but you still got to work because the Bible says if you don't work, you don't, you don't even eat, let alone get a large house. You do not live large without laboring. Now watch this, Lord, and that's, that's in the spiritual realm, that's in the physical realm. You got to work and live your life out in the truth. Now watch this. Now in a large house, you got gold in the house, silver is in the house, wood is in the house, clay is in the house, and all of them have their purpose. You got a lot of things in the house, but they are not all on the same level. Clay is not on the level of wood. Wood is not on the level of silver. Silver is not on the level of gold, 
But even though they're not on the same level, they all still in the same house. Pastor, why are you bringing that up? Because this is a large house that God has. This is God's house, and it's a large one. And there's a lot of us in the house, but y'all, all of us are not on the same level. I don't care if you do deal with it economically, educationally, domestically, health, all, we ain't all on the same level. But the good news is we all in the same house. And I don't have to get jealous of you because you got a gold personality and you got a silver gift and all I am is clay. I ain't got to get jealous of you because I'm just glad to be in the house. I may not be the gold you are. I'm just glad to be in the house and God has taken this treasure and put it in earthen vessels. I ain't jealous of you, baby. I'm still in the house. Now watch this, watch this, and this is important, this is important. I'm trying to get you out of the trap. I'm trying to get you to come to your senses and escape from the trap of the devil. You're in a large house, right? You got it. You live in large, large house. You got gold and silver in your house. That's great. Purpose, that's all in there. Verse 21, now you clean, you're getting cleaned up, you're getting pure, now you're clean. Wonderful. And prepare for every good work. Now watch the very next thing God tells you to do. Flee you for lust. Y'all not getting it. There is a sequence to Scripture. God has every verse in the order it's supposed to be in for a reason. Because even after you, you got this big old house now, you got gold and silver in your house. You got purpose. You've even cleaned up a little bit of yourself. And you're working. Now he's saying, run from you for lust. Notice he's not saying run to you for lust. Because once you get it like that, you ain't got to run after nothing. When you living like that, you ain't got to pursue it. Okay, y'all looking like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Anybody with a big house with some gold and silver, you halfway clean, got some purpose, and you working, you ain't got to run after it. It will run after you. I know you can't say amen, just look at amen for me. Now, here's the deal. Now, even after I'm living large, there's some stuff, yes, I got to run away from. I got to run away from youthful lust, youthful desires. I, I got to run away from sordid sexual sins. That's, and you know what? I'm 44 years old, and, and Paul is telling me, Jeffrey Johnson, even over 40, you got to keep running from youthful lust. And y'all ain't got to look at me like that because some of y'all 50 and 60, but you know you, some stuff still trying to catch up with you. So I'm running from youthful lust. Now watch what I'm running to. I'm running to, because I'm not just running any and every. I'm not just out running. I'm running to righteousness, love, faith, peace. I, I'm running from youthful lust, but I'm running to the right relationship with God. I'm running to agape. I'm, I'm trying to love people who are unlovable. I'm running to faith, not my trust, not not dependent on God, but now God dependent on me. I'm running to peace that surpasses all human understanding. And you do not, you do not run from lust one time. Woo, I'm glad I didn't, man, I'm glad I didn't fall for that. I'm glad I didn't get, no, you don't run one time. You keep running because you for lust keeps pursuing you. Now I got to keep running, from, but I got to keep running after righteousness. And I've been running after righteousness now for 30 years, and I still ain't caught up with it. Wait a minute, Pastor. I thought you got saved when you was a teenager. I did. Then don't you have right relationship with God? 
positionally I got I'm posi- any man be in Christ. He's a, in Christ. I have a right relationship pos- with position. But now my condition, <laughs> it ain't right. So I'm trying to get my condition to catch up with my position. And that's why I got to keep on running. And after 30 years, I still ain't caught up with it. Wait, okay. See, some of y'all looking all holy like, well, I have already caught up with righteousness. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You have not. Because the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, planted all those churches, developed all those preachers, helped God win all those souls to the kingdom. Even after 13 years of knowing Jesus, he said, it's not as if I've already obtained this. He said, but it's one thing I do. I ain't got it yet. But one thing I do, I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Here's what he said. He says, I'm trying, here's here's Paul's words, I'm trying to apprehend that which apprehended me. E.K. Bailey says it like this, that I'm trying to tackle that which tackled me. See, y'all, when I was a teenager, I wasn't running from you for lust. I was running toward, I was trying to catch it. I was running towards you for lust when I was a teenager. And as I was running towards you for lust, Jesus came up and apprehended me. He tackled me. And when he tackled me, I fumbled my life. Jesus picked my life up and started running in the other direction. So I got up, put you for lust behind me, and then I was trying to catch up. I'm trying to apprehend who apprehended me. I'm trying to tackle the one who tackled me. And after 30 years, I still ain't caught him, but I still got to keep running. Pastor, why do you keep running? I'm not just trying to catch the right relationship with God. I'm trying to keep my past from catching me. Okay, y'all acting like y'all ain't got nothing in your past. Y'all ain't never did nothing wrong. Ain't nobody back there, ain't Ain't nothing back there. Yes, it is. That's why you got to keep running. Because being a Christian sometimes can be hard, man. Trying to do right when so many people are wrong. Trying to be honest when so many people are deceitful. Trying to tell the truth when you're hearing so many lies. Man, it's, it's sometimes, don't you just want to stop sometimes? Don't you stop. Because, okay, all right. Y'all just added five minutes to my sermon to prove there's some stuff behind you trying to catch up with you. That's why you got to keep running. Um, Oh, our friend, Pastor Freddie Haynes, y'all know he's a great preacher in Dallas, and my good friend, Pastor Haynes, was in a terrible car accident about six or seven weeks ago. He was in a bad car accident, and uh, I mean, got all banged up and hurt and all back, everything. And it was on a Saturday he was in an accident. He couldn't preach Sunday, the very next Sunday. Thousands of people showed up at the Friendship West Church in Dallas. He couldn't preach because he got banged up so much by the car accident. So I called to check on my brother. I said, man, you all right? He said, no, I ain't all right. I got banged up. I'm hurt. It was a bad accident. So I said, well, what happened? And he went to explain what I actually said, man, I, was, I actually just got off the phone with you, and it wasn't long after that, that that I was in the accident. I said, well, okay, well, tell me what happened in the accident. He said, and y'all know he talks funny, right? He said, the car that was in front of the car that was in front of me stopped. He talks real funny. He said, then the car that was in front of me stopped. He said, then I stopped, but the car behind me didn't stop. Y'all not getting it. He said, the car that was in front of the car that was in front of me stopped. The car in front of me stopped. Then he said, I stopped, but what was behind me, it didn't stop. 
and he got hit by what was behind him and it hurt him so much he couldn't even do what God called on him to do. If somehow Pastor Haynes could have kept moving, if he could have just kept going, what's behind him never would have hurt him. This is all I'm trying to tell you. I know it gets hard, but you got to keep running at the righteousness because there's some stuff trying to catch up with you. I wish Pastor Haynes had looked in his side view mirror and he could have read the word from God that, that the objects in this mirror are closer than they might appear. I know you've been saved 25 years, but you better keep going because that stuff from your past is closer than it may appear. Wait a minute, wait, wait. Somebody's saying, no, I don't care. I, I'll let sordid sexual sins catch up with me. I'll let you for lust and you for the, I'm going to let it catch me. Now, you don't understand the consequences of when it catches you. You're just thinking about the pleasure for the moment, and that was a nice time. No, it ain't over. This, this text does not close at verse 22. Watch this. Verse 22. Keep running. Don't let it catch you. Don't get caught up in sort of sexual sins. Don't do that. Then somebody stops running. You get caught. Then what happens? Verse 23, King James Version. Foolish and stupid questions. Y'all not following the sequence of the scripture. If I get caught sleeping with somebody I'm not married to, if I'm having sex with somebody that, that's not my spouse, then, then that is sordid sexual sin. That's youthful lust kind of stuff. What happens after that? Stupid questions. If you get caught with craziness, next you got to entertain stupid questions. Are you going to respect me in the morning? Do you love me? Are we getting married now? You going to give me a key to your place? Are we moving in together? Are you going to pay my rent now? Are you going to leave your family? Are you going to leave your wife now? Look at somebody tell them stupid questions. Now, see, here's what's so crazy. You got all this conversation after the sexual connection. That kind of stuff is supposed to be discussed when you first hook up. And then you make your way to, y'all ain't getting this. We jump in the bed too soon, and then we jump in the bed for a moment of pleasure, and the next thing you know, we got to deal with these stupid questions. Because had you had this conversation before you got with them, you never would have got in the bed. If you knew they thought like that and talked like that, you never would have got with them. Stupid questions. And then right after that, King James Version, right after that, it says strife. Strife. NIV, quarrelings. We don't talk like that anymore. Strife, quarrelings. What it really means is fighting. Wait a minute. Why am I fighting with somebody I'm sleeping with? I mean, you would think since sex is an expression of love when you're married, why am I fighting? I'm, we sleeping together. Stupid questions and all this fighting. And we, I know y'all can't say amen. Just look at amen for me. And I'm, I'm doing all this, it's, it's not making sense. And so I'm trying to understand scripture. And I really, I'm, I really didn't finish this message in terms of preparation. I apologize to y'all because I like to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm prepared before. And I didn't finish it, but God told me to preach it anyway. I still ain't finished this thing. So y'all got to help me. 
Here's how I exegete a text. I always ask a question of the text. Then I let the text answer me and tailor the truth I'm supposed to receive. So here's my question to the text. And y'all help me. I didn't get the answer, so y'all help me. We're going to exegete this text. Here's the question. Why the fighting? Why am I fighting somebody I just had sex with? Now, here's the answer. Stupid questions. Wait a minute. Is it the asking of the questions that lead to the fight? Or is it the answer to the questions that lead to the fight? Because sisters, some brothers can't handle no questions. I mean, y'all fine till you ask him. He can't handle it. And you know he can't handle stupid questions. And then maybe the fighting is not because of the questions that are asked. Maybe it's the answer to the questions because some folk can't handle honest answers to stupid questions. No, I don't love you. No, I don't respect you. No, I'm not marrying you. No, we're not having any babies. No, you're not getting my key. No, I'm not paying your rent. No, I'm not leaving my family. No, I'm not leaving my wife. And if you don't want honest answers, stop asking me stupid questions. Y'all ain't helping me preach this. Uh, my, my friend, I know my time is running. I know the meter's running, but... My friend, Dr. Theron Williams, he called me the other day and said, man, did you see that commercial where that princess is kissing a frog? I said, yeah, I did, and it's very enlightening, too. See, when I was a kid, they used to tell a story about a princess found a frog, kissed the frog, and the frog turned into a prince, and then they lived happily ever after. Now they got a version of that in a commercial. I don't even know what it's advertised, but it's a nice commercial. A princess, she's got all her royal attire on. She got her crown on. And a princess finds a frog, picks him up, kissed the frog, thinking he would turn into a prince. But instead of changing to a prince, he changed to a weasel. So she kissed him again. Instead of changing to a prince, this time he changed to a buzzard. She kissed him again. Instead of changing to a prince, this time he changed to a skunk. She kissed the skunk. Mwah! Instead of changing to a prince, this time it changed to a monkey. Homegirl kissed the monkey. Mwah! Instead of changing to a prince, he changed her to a half man, half jackass. She said, oh, no, I'm tired of this. I ain't kissing no more stuff like this. And she turned and walked away in disgust. And the half man, half jackass said, wait, I might be your prince. One more kiss. Sister girl learned a lesson. If they are not a prince before you kiss them, I don't care how good you kiss, they ain't going to be no prince after you kiss them. And my question to you is, how many frogs you going to kiss? How many monkeys and weasels? How many buzzards you going to kiss? How, how many skunks? How many half, I mean, half men, half jackasses are you going to kiss? Look at somebody and tell them, kissing won't change them. But watch what the text says as I try to come to a close. It says in verse 25, when we are patient with people and speak kind, don't beat people upside the head with the Bible and go make them believe with you. No, people were patient with you when you came along. Be patient with people and loving and gentle with them. And he says when that happens, that's when the transformation comes. That's when people are led into the knowledge of the truth Folks start coming to their senses and they escape from the trap of the devil. 
is when they repent. Anybody in here right now and you're tired to sin and ungodliness and you've gotten caught up in all kind of crazy situations and bondage and drugs and alcohol and, and, and debt and all that kind of stuff, I want you to understand something. When you repent, God forgives you and gives you another chance. Repentance means a mental metamorphosis. Repentance literally means to change your mind. That's it. If you change your mind, God forgives you and transforms your life. You think I'm up here preaching because I kept all God's commandments? You think I'm up here preaching because I've done everything the right way? You think I'm up here preaching because while I was running towards righteousness, I never stopped and caught some stuff caught up with me? I'm up here preaching because I changed my mind. And when I changed my mind, God gave me another chance. And now I'd have made up in my mind. I don't care how hard it gets. I'm going to keep running. I'm not stopping because I want everything, God. I want to come to my senses, and I want to escape from the trap of the devil. Let me read one more verse, and I'll let y'all go. I'm not going to develop it. I just want to read it. Verse 19, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone, everyone. Drug dealer, gang banger, everyone, single parent, prostitute, everyone, pornography, everyone, liar, cheater, deceit, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord. Y'all, that's when you're going to be saved. That's when you're going to change. When you call on the name of the Lord. Let me close it like this. Uh, oh, oh, Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett um, in, in, in March 2007 was averaging 25 points a game. Uh, 12 and a half rebounds a game, four assists, two steals. I mean, great basketball player. Seven-year contract, $25 million a year. But the Minnesota Timberwolves would still lose him, not because of Kevin Garnett. But the analysts say he, he had the wrong players around him. And when he had the wrong players around him, he was not able to get any victories. They kept getting defeated one game after another. And in that March 2007, they had just gotten beat by the Boston Celtics, who was having a horrible year, horrible year. But they just beat the Minnesota Timberwolves. So all the cameras went to Kevin Garnett, and they asked him, have you ever thought about going to another team? Now, here he is making $25 million a year, sitting down looking dejected and down and depressed. With all that money, that's because he had one defeat after another because he had the wrong players around him. And they asked him, would you be willing to go to another team? Here was what his answer was. He said, thank God. This is his words. Thank God for opt-outs. O-P-T, opt-outs. He's in a seven-year contract. He's been in it for three years, got four more years to go. But his agent had put in the contract, after three years, you have an option to get out with no penalty. You can be a free agent if you opt out if you don't like the situation you're in. I know y'all looking at me funny like that, and why am I bringing this up? Because somebody I'm preaching to, you living a defeated life. It's not because you're not trying to do good, it's just you got too many wrong players around you, and you need to change teams, because if you're not on the Lord's side, then you're not on a winning team. But no matter what you are tied into, I can call my agent for you. Let me give you my agent's name. You call my agent, and he can give you an opt-out. Well, pastor, what's your agent's name? My agent's name is Jesus. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Somebody shout yes. Won't he save you? Won't he save you? Won't he change you? Won't he bring you out? Somebody shout yes.